Before we get started, I want to invite everyone listening to our Christmas Eve service at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. on December 24th, Christmas Eve. Join us for a message from God's Word. Join us for Christmas carols. Join us for hot chocolate. Be here, 545 Hillsdale Avenue, 3 p.m. or 5 p.m. in San Jose at Hillside Church. I hope to see you there. All right. On that happy note, we turn to a topic a little more disturbing. Is it possible that our society would make pedophilia legal? Impossible, you say? Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 068, podcast 68. And today we want to have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective on a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper on our resource page. In the meantime, let's get started. All right, Keith. Yeah, this uh, title is definitely going to make a lot of people think that you are out of your mind. Um, This is a pretty heavy title. So what's going on with this? Well, I know, Mark, it does sound or seem unbelievable. It does seem like out of my mind that pedophilia could be decriminalized or legitimized over time in our culture. And if someone had suggested that to me, I would have thought they were out of their minds. But I'm afraid it's so. So are you saying that there's a move to legitimize child molesting and pedophilia and all those things? Because really, I mean, let's just be honest, pedophilia at its core, is just child molesting. That's what it is. It's just a fancy word for child molesting. But I'm afraid there is a book out, and it's being published, no surprises here, by the University of California Press. It's entitled A Long Dark Shadow, and it is subtitled, and listen to this subtitle, Minor Attracted People and Their Pursuit of Dignity. Now, let me just pick up on this. Minor attracted people. Those are people attracted to minors sexually. Now, this book is written by a trans criminologist by the name of Alan Walker, who bills himself or herself as a queer criminologist. And until recently, Walker was on the faculty of Old Dominion University in Virginia. And you may be saying, well, how could he have ever gotten on the faculty of such a prestigious institution? Beats me, but while Old Dominion has been very supportive of him, after this book was published and one of his interviews was published, the university tried to distance itself from him, and he eventually left on his own accord or her own accord. And we'll talk about the corruption of the educational establishment after the first of the year on a later podcast. But suffice it to say, there is a move to destigmatize pedophiles in the academy or the university, even in government, even including our the legal system. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Okay, can we back up or slow down for a moment? Because you, you threw out this term, minor attracted persons. And I think there needs to be a little bit of description here about what's going on with that and how it connects with pedophiles. It sort of defines itself. These are people, these are adults, who are attracted sexually to minors, minor attracted persons. It's a nice word for a child molester or a pedophile. And like everything else in our culture, there's always the perversion or manipulation of language to make something ugly or nauseating more palatable. And this is a game of smoke and mirrors. It's like the term anti-racist. Minor attracted adults is another name for something wrong, immoral, ungodly, pedophile. That's what it is. 
And proponents would have you believe that it's okay to find yourself sexually attracted to children so long as you don't actually have sex with them. And hence the term minor attracted persons is people who are sexually attracted to children. And so what they're trying to do is to create some artificial distinctions that are part of the long-term strategy of like the frog in the kettle, gradually turning up the heat until the unpalatable becomes palatable, until the victim or the culture or society is metaphorically cooked alive and insensitive or desensitized to this incredible, incredible perversion. Now, Amazon.com describes the book this way. Now, think about this. This book is for sale on Amazon. It's on sale in bookstores everywhere. But here's what, here's an excerpt of the description of this book that we just talked about. Challenging widespread assumptions that persons who are preferentially attracted to minors, often referred to as pedophiles, are necessarily also predators and sex offenders. This book navigates the guilt, shame, and fear that this universally maligned group feels and demonstrates remarkable resilience and a commitment to living without offending and to support others and educating others. And what happens here is this. The writer engages in what Amazon calls using data from interview-based research. A long, dark shadow offers crucial a crucial account of the lived experiences, recognize that from critical theory, of this hidden population. So what you have here is anecdotal evidence masquerading as research. That's not to say that there aren't people who are sexually attracted to children who don't act on their impulses or do perverse things to defenseless children, just as there are people who are tempted to murder, but they don't actually go all the way and commit murder. But I would suggest that neither of these groups is an oppressed group that is, unless they pursue or herald their impulses, then they're going to wind up in jail. Okay, let me kind of throw this one out there, because I know we hear this made, especially a lot with Christians and homosexuality, but what do you say to those who would argue that being an adult tempted to have sex, consensual or otherwise, with children or minors, it's not necessarily the same thing as actually committing the act? I'm sure that's got to be the angle that this book is coming from, right? That's the angle that the book takes. You're right. That letting your mind uh, be tempted and play out these desires, some would say lust, is okay as long as you don't act on them. But the question is for the Christian is what does the Bible say? I mean, what does Jesus say? And in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, we read this. You've heard it say to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And getting closer to this, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his own heart. You could substitute children there. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. Even thinking about such things is a sin against God and will probably lead to a sin against others. And so Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. We don't need to celebrate their lived experience or try to give them dignity because these thoughts aren't dignified. They are horrendous. They are condemned Old Testament to new. 
And we don't need to look at anybody's lived experiences. We need to look at objective truth, which in this case is the Word of God. More, furthermore, we do well to consider the book of James that says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God does not tempt anyone. This isn't a desire that God has created, but each one is tempted and carried away by his own lust. And when this lust is fully developed, it gives birth to sin. And when sin comes forth, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Understand, these impulses are sinful, they are perverse. They are a crime against God and the victims, the objects of these lusts. Yeah, I think that's, that makes it really clear um, by showing us just, you know, what Jesus says and, and really what this is. And I think what culture tries to do in a lot of ways is to slowly change, slowly destigmatize or make the thoughts less and less bad. And then we get to this point where it just seems, oh, okay, that's fine. And I love how you use that verse in James because we can't give sin even the smallest foothold. In our culture, in our lives, we, we must stand and say, no, that's sin. And so why don't you talk a little bit about who this author is? Obviously, um, there's a person here who's, who's, very, um, who's got a soft spot for these type of people. And so why, why is it that this person makes, uh, has garnered so much attention? Okay, uh, this person's name is Alan Walker, A-L-L-Y-N. This is a trans person who bills himself or herself as a queer criminologist, and she's written this book, or he's written this book. And no one really knew who he or she was until this book came out, and, and, and they surfaced on Twitter a few weeks ago during an interview with an NBC and Atlantic contributor, Noah Berlatsky, the communications director of what some would call a pro-pedophile outfit called Protasia. Now, notice he works for NBC and The Atlantic, this person does. And what they do in this interview is they legitimize this as, a, as, a, as almost a, a sexual orientation. And what they, who they really see as the real offenders, the real criminals here, is society and parents. In fact, Bert Lansky describes parents in a tweet as tyrants. Parent is an oppressive class, like rich people or white people. Here again is where critical race theory, critical theory, critical justice theory goes. So the goal here is to normalize the abnormal by almost any means necessary. And so activists for these maps, that is, uh, minorly, uh, minor attracted persons, have even tried to add a color representing them to the LGBTQ flag. And, and so they've tried to make themselves part of that movement. Now, uh, I, I am hoping that you will tell me that this hasn't been well-received and that um, people have pushed back pretty hard against this. I know we've talked about the corruptions of our institutions, but hopefully they're not that corrupted yet, are they? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. The LGBT community, a gay activist and trans cat lady, Phelan Fairchild, argues that maps have no place in the LGBTQ community. He or she writes, pedophilia is not a sexual preference. It is not a consensual act with a mutually informed adult. Children cannot consent. Pedophiles are child rapists, full stop. There is no such thing as MAP. Do not normalize or sanitize child predation by allowing them the dignity of identifying themselves as anything but a sexual threat to children. They are pedophiles, child sex offenders. So that's a pretty strong stance from the gay community. Another gay activist wrote, so this is not... Uh, a way that you're born. This is a choice people make. This is a 
choice. This is a sexual lifestyle that people choose, and therefore it is not a sexual orientation. That sounds a lot like uh, what people used to say about gays and uh, lesbians. But there are gay websites telling children to run from such flags. They decry this flag. And so what you see here is that the gay community, as we know it, the trans community, seems to oppose this. And yet academia is slowly embracing it. And, and here's the thing. You just have to watch the wordplay. I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, uh, that to use the term minor attracted persons suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children, but using that term communicates someone who's attracted to but doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. It is a wordplay. But the reality is, just as Jesus said, murderous or adulterous thoughts were the same as committing the acts themselves, having these kind of thoughts is wrong. It is morally wrong. It, it is illegal for now. And uh, as Jesus said, you've heard that it said was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it is with so-called minor attracted persons. All right, so another question for you. All this seems to have just popped up. Uh, just all of a sudden, boom, it comes on to the, to the map. However, knowing, as we've talked about, um, just a lot of the stuff that's gone on and has come to fruition in today's day and age, it didn't start yesterday and all of a sudden became a thing. It's, uh, it's a movement that's been brewing for a while. So how long has this movement been brewing or simmering until it's now here at this boiling point? That's a great question, Mark. There has been a powerful lobbying, lobbying group in Washington, D.C., well-funded in our nation's capital for over two decades Wait, there's lobbyists in Washington, D.C. that have been around for decades advocating for this? That's right. NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, who want to empower youth, young boys, regardless of their parents, to have uh, express themselves sexually with adult men. Here's what their website says. And by the way, again, listen for critical theory terminology here because you're going to hear the word ageism or ableism and things like that. So here's what the North American Man-Boy Love Association says. Welcome. The North American Man-Boy Love Association, NAMBLA, was formed in 1978. It was inspired by the success of a campaign based in Boston's gay community to defend against a local witch hunt. See how they're trying to co-opt that. NAMBLA's goal is to end the extreme oppression of men and boys in mutually consensual relationships by building understanding and support for such relationships, educating, catch this, educating the general public on the benevolent nature of man-boy love, cooperating with lesbian, gay, feminist, and other liberation movements, back to critical theory, supporting the liberation of persons of all ages from sexual prejudice and oppression. Our membership is open to everyone sympathetic to man, boy, love, and personal freedom. NAMBLA calls for the empowerment of youth in all areas, not just sexual. We support greater economic, political, and social opportunities for young people and denounced rampant ageism that segregates and isolates them in fear and mistrust. We believe sexual feelings are a positive life force. 
We support the rights of youth as well as adults to choose partners with, which, with whom they wish to share and enjoy their bodies. Now, can you believe that? This group has been around since 1978. Uh, they have a lot of political weight. They are attaching themselves, as naturally one would expect, to the critical justice theory group. But I have to admit this. One of the things they've done is cleaned up their website because they used to advocate for free sex between men and boys as young as 10 years old. And now they've kind of toned it down to clean up their act. But make no mistake, these are child molesters. And here's, how, here's a, a sense of the political weight they carry. There was a NAMBLA activist or supporter in the Obama administration and the Department of, you guessed it, Education. And a few years ago, there was a position paper written by a retired Canadian Supreme Court justice arguing that pedophilia, or MAPS, might be considered a sexual orientation. That just seems so unbelievable to me. And I, I, I know I'm sitting here shaking my head, and I'm sure many of our listeners are as well. And, and so really, it, it leads me to this question as we kind of try to wrap things up. What do we take away from this? What are we as Christians supposed to do with this information? Well, number one, you need to be aware. You need to be vigilant. You can't bury your head in the sand. You need to recognize that this, this movement it has connections in government and education. And so when you s sense the presence of anything like this, you need to push back aggressively. Our culture is collapsing, as are its institutions and moral infrastructure. So I would add that right now is the time to bear a humble, respectful Christian witness to live out your faith in a conspicuous way to try to lead people to Christ while protecting your children. And I just want you to think for a moment how all the LGBTQ trans stuff has invaded our school system. Can anyone say that this isn't next? So let's be clear about this, though. This map thing, minor attracted persons, pedophilia, is a sin. There is no place for it in our society. To even debate it gives it the dignity of some level of credibility. And so you need to protect your children from anyone or any institution that would be at all sympathetic. And I'm afraid that will come to include the public schools. You also need to be teaching your children, training them, raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, discipling their hearts and minds, talking to them. And when they come home from school, ask them what they are learning. Well, Mark, I think we've kind of sounded the alarm enough. I think that's it for today. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you'd like additional resources, and there will be quite a few, you can go to our resource page at www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. If you have questions, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit us online at www.hillside.org. Worship with us on Sunday. December 26th, this next Sunday, at 9.30 and 11, but normally at 8, 9.30 and 11. And join us for our Christmas Eve worship at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. on December 24th. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.